So Eric Newman, it's such a wonderful pleasure to have you here as one of the co-founders of the podcast. Thank you so much for agreeing to be interviewed today. <laughs> yeah, thank you for having me. I've heard many wonderful things about this podcast and I'm very excited <laughs> to be a guest now. Amazing. I've actually, I think most people recognize you purely from your voice. I feel like sometimes I get to a point where I'm listening to a song and you know how you can listen to a voice and you can tell which artist it is. I feel yeah. like I've heard your voice enough that I could just be like, oh, that that is definitely Eric. To say how much of a legend you are. Yeah, exactly. I am actually an artificial intelligence. No one has ever seen me. I do not exist outside my voice. Oh, it'd be cool if you could distort your voice so you have a podcast voice. And then when you're like interviewing for jobs and people tell you they like the podcast, you adopt that voice so they recognize you. <laughs> but if they're like, you heard of this like horrible Stanford psychology podcast, it's like obnoxious host and you just have a completely different voice. Uh, maybe that's the move. Actually, I have a suggestion for your future direction our podcast should take. We may have discussed this in one of our meetings mm. is we deep fake all our voices and mm. just stop recording podcasts and just have, we should just have ChatGPT write up an entire podcast interaction and mm. then do it in the voice of Eric and then in the voice of a hypothetical person and that's the podcast. In fact, maybe that's what we've been doing all along. The, no one knows. Yeah. Who says we haven't been doing that? I have never met any of our guests. That's why we have so many incredible people on. <laughs> okay, jokes aside, though. So I think this is actually a wonderful opportunity, I think, to get to know you as one of like our co-founders and I suppose also one of our more prolific podcast recorders. I don't think I record half as much episodes as you do. And given that you're a full-time graduate student, it's actually really impressive to me. So I guess my first question is, how do you even find the time to maintain and run a whole podcast while being a student full-time and doing a whole lot of other things on top of that? It's really like baffling to me. That is a very generous assessment of my living situation and of my whole life, graduate school life. I will have to frame that somewhere. That's very generous. I feel like it overlaps with my research more than I would have thought. Because ever since you guys joined and other people joined as hosts, and we have so many hosts, and each one of us is only interviewing a few people, I feel like I can specialize in who I'm interviewing. And I can really reach out to people who are just the leading experts in the stuff that I study, which is like trust and pro-social behavior. And I just get to talk to them about their work. And not only is the conversation useful, because I can ask them any questions, but I also have to really know their work, as it turns out, right? It's one thing to read someone's paper and sit in your little cubicle and be like, wow, you know, these people, I, have, I know this differently or I know this better. But then if you actually talk to them on a public platform representing your employer, you really have to get their arguments and you cannot strawman them and you really have to think it through. So I feel like I get a lot of benefit out of that. And so it's more like a seamless transition into like my everyday research and reading papers. And I love thinking about ideas and reading papers anyways. And I also get to pick people whose work I'm also somewhat familiar with already, right? So I don't have to start at zero. And so I think over time, as you get more practice and you don't have to be as nervous and sweaty about every single interview you're going to do and just be sleepless the week before because you're like, oh my God, this podcast is coming up. The time effort becomes less and the way to integrate it into my like everyday research becomes a little bit easier in my experience. Interesting. So actually let's step back a little. I'm actually curious how you came to even know what a podcast is, like whether you used to listen to podcasts growing up. Cause I yeah, I think I discovered podcasts 
like in college. And mm-hmm. I wonder whether for you it was about the same time or much earlier and whether that played a role in you wanting to start your own podcast. Uh, oh, hell so, yeah. yeah. I discovered them in college and thank God for that. I went to college in Germany and many of my lecturers tried really greatly to give good lectures within the, I would say, not super compelling German higher education system where a lot of the lectures just get a lecture now and then the exam is 12 months later. Just a lot of incentives like this that make it really hard to focus. And so I went to college all excited to learn about people and finding myself not learning as much as I had hoped. Again, not really blaming it on the people, more on the system. And I was like, oh God, psychology is really dull. This is not as wonderful and thrilling as I thought it would be. But then I discovered podcasts and books and other forms of science communication that other people did and put out there in the world. And I was like, oh my God, these people actually care. Wait, people are interesting after all. My intuition might have been right. And so I got here to Stanford as a PhD student. And now I got to talk to some of the people who wrote the books I was reading in the podcast I was listening to. And I was like, wait a minute, now I can talk to them? What a waste of their time. <laughs> Why is their wisdom spoiled on me of all people? Let's try to think the initial format that we had in mind was something like open office hours, like a kind of normal academic office hour kind of situation between grad student or post-college student and faculty and just record it. Of course, with their consent and in a podcast format, but just to have a regular conversation and let other people in on these conversations. And it's been fun. Yeah, yeah. No, you've mentioned so many interesting and wonderful things. Maybe I'd like to pick on one of them, which is just the fact that you were listening to different podcasts back in college. Were they, I'm curious, were they psychology podcasts specifically? Or did you also listen to other disciplines? Are there particular podcast names that you even remember that you also maybe still listen to? I'm actually curious. You, I might get on to some interesting ones if you have some good suggestions oh my my favorite podcast is probably hidden brain the storytelling that they're doing and the wonderful guests that they're having on it's just incredible so you learn about science and you hear stories which makes it more engaging but the science comes first and then they build the story around it as opposed to using stories and anecdotes instead of evidence and so that's i think a wonderful way to do science communication and that's something i was listening to laurie santos who's been doing a lot of really cool podcast work and just public communication work. People like this, where I'm like, my God, this is so much fun. They know so many things and they're telling us. They're not keeping it a secret. Wonderful. And yeah, that's where I was starting out. And I'm still listening to these podcasts and to the people producing it. So much fun. What do you do when you're listening to a podcast? I've always wondered what I sh- whether I should be like, only listening to podcasts when I'm doing my chores because some podcasts, how they like make you think like a psychology podcast is similar to that in that you're, you're actively thinking and you can't really multitask while doing that. And there's others where you can just have it in the background and like actually do some light thinking tasks. I don't know, do some Excel sheet related things. This makes me curious now about our listeners <laughs> where they listen to our podcast. <laughs> and every time I'm in the bathroom, I turn on the Stanford psychology podcast. I don't know. I feel like I cannot sit still and listen to a podcast and do nothing else, which I think is my problem. I just can't do it. Like I need to be walking around or I need to do some chores. Now, I like to go on walks when the weather is good, which in California is always. And so it's really fun to just walk around. And we know from research, it makes you more creative when you walk around as opposed to just sit. And as academics, we always just sit on a chair and don't get enough movement. So that's good. 
or do my chores, but I cannot for the life of me, I've been trying so many times, just sit in my chair or lie in my bed and listen to podcasts. I do it sometimes when I fall asleep or I can't fall asleep, which I'm not, I don't know. I'm not saying these podcasts help me fall asleep. I'm already tired <laughs> and I need some input to be excited to wake up to the next morning. Yeah, I have listened to some academic podcasts while falling asleep. And part of it is really that I'm just like interested in something, but I'm also sleepy at the same time. And so I, I just like drift asleep while I'm listening to it. The crazy thing that happens is that often when I wake up in the morning, I the first thing I start thinking about is I'm thinking about all these sciencey things. And I'm thinking about yeah. like I was listening to a podcast about, I don't know, space. And just that's the first thing I start thinking about. And I'm like, where did these thoughts come from? And it's actually the podcast I was listening to. So it's very interesting. I feel like maybe your mind keeps processing something. And maybe that could be an interesting way to study for an exam is to listen to the lecture as you fall asleep. I don't recommend this, but there's something about some kind of like processing that happens when you're like, (laughs) like sleepy that might be like encoding something deeply in your subconscious. I don't know. Wow. (laughs) You think it impacts what you dream about? For sure. I have dreamt. Okay, this one's not about podcasts, but one time I fell asleep listening to an album and mm-hmm. I actually dreamt that I was at a concert for this album and I could see the artist there. It was the most vivid wow. concert dream I've ever had. And they were playing wow. all the songs in their album and I didn't realize that it was the music that was playing when I was like outside of my sleep in my yeah. room. Anyway. Ah, very cool. Okay, so just back on the topic of founding, I guess, the Stanford Psychology podcast, we have interviewed Angie who gave us a lot about the background and the all the setup that went into formulating the podcast. I wonder whether you have any things to say in addition to what she said. If you listen to that episode, I think I'm one of the things that I'm just curious about is for someone who might be interested in starting a podcast, what would you say are the basic ingredients for starting your own podcast? Like where do you even start? Do you need to like buy an expensive microphone, an expensive computer, whatever, or like how would you What's the sort of very simple recipe you would give based on your experience of starting one? I feel like we're still figuring things out. I'm certainly still figuring things out. I'm just like barely yeah. getting started. It's, I think the, yeah, sure, get a good microphone or even a basic microphone will be better than your computer audio. Some recording software, like what we're using, platform that doesn't depend on internet connection quality so the sound is better. There's things like that. But I feel like so often the barriers are not I don't have a microphone or I don't want to buy a microphone. It's more like, who am I to start a podcast? Who should I be talking to? And how am I going to pull this off alone? And I think the answer here, as well as the answer to what would I add to what Angie was saying, I agree with Angie. It's you guys. It's the team, right? We have a whole community in the department now. I could have never done this alone. Angie and I together even could never have done this alone. This podcast would be long dead. So I have a bunch of people and then it's fine if none of us has any experience and we don't know what we're doing, but together we can figure it out. And then I'm also thinking about the wonderful research by Nick Epley and Juliana Schroeder about how we always think reaching out to strangers is this really scary thing. It's going to be so awkward and it's going to be horrible and painful and everything will go wrong. And I'll seem so incompetent for asking my questions and all these worries that we have when oftentimes once you reach out to people, it's just fine. It's fine. And people are nice to talk to and they appreciate being reached out to and they want to be kind to you. And on a podcast, there's social desirability bias because people are listening in. So you have to be kind. So I think there were a lot of worries that I had and that other people and the team told me they had about, oh, God, what if the person is horrible I'm talking to? And what 
why am I even going to ask them and all these really social anxieties that I just really not found it. Just having talked to a lot of people, everyone is just so nice. It's really, it's almost obnoxious. Interesting. Yeah. That's a good point. I think one thing that's also intimidating, particularly for someone hosting an academic podcast is you're reaching out to all these researchers who are, some of them are early career researchers, but others are well-established researchers who are quite intimidating. And the fact that you have to talk to them about their research would make you feel like you need to do so much background research before to get ready. And I think, yeah, I actually, that's one thing that I kind of struggled with at the start was I feel like in order for me to talk to this very renowned researcher, I have to essentially read their entire body of works. Like I, I'm like, I want someone who has a Wikipedia page so I can see like a good summary of everything so that I look like I know what I'm talking about when I talk to them. And so yes. I, I wonder how you came to overcome that in your journey. I, I overcame that a little. I'm still trying to overcome it, but I had to overcome most of it before I started the podcast, which was the first couple of times I went to office hours with professors as an undergrad. And this was, I was an exchange student at U Chicago at the time. And I was like, who am I to reach out to these people? Why would they care about meeting with me? But then I was like, oh, but they're also like really cool people and I love their work and maybe they have two minutes of their time. And then I would read everything they've ever written and really reread the book that I had already read and be so nervous because I'm like, they're going to ask me. This paper I published 25 years ago, study 2B, do you think I used the right statistical analysis? And I'll have to have an answer. They don't care. In fact, they don't want to talk about their work. They know their work, as it turns out. They want to know about you. They wanted to know about me. They asked me all these questions like, where are you from and what do you want to do? And I was like, didn't prepare for these questions and so i think going to office hours helped because again the podcast is supposed to be open office hours i guess to some extent professors are i think in our academic world they seem like all these big stars and some of them are big stars but the academic world is also very small so a lot of these people don't regularly get invites to talk about their exciting research with someone who's really so thrilled to hear them talk about their research and so when it happens i think they appreciate it but they're also curious about you. And I feel like I had to learn that through trial and failure multiple times to really see, oh, wait, that's not how office always goes. That's not how podcasts go. People just want to talk and they just appreciate someone reaching out and they just want to talk about random stuff. And that's surprisingly fine. And they're also people. They don't just produce research professors. They also have a life. They have anxieties. They have worries. They have barriers to overcome, turns out, which is helpful for us to know and helpful for them to share. Interesting. You also ask really insightful questions. You've actually done some of my favorite podcasts of our entire podcast. And I'm wondering how you come up with your questions during your sessions. So I take it you have a prepared, pre-prepared list of questions. And perhaps in addition to that, you also ask some questions in real time, depending on what kind of interesting point gets raised by the person you're interviewing, right? Yeah, that's first of all, that's really too kind. And in light of the AI thing we were talking about earlier, <laughs> dear listeners, Joseph is real. He asked those questions. That was not an AI I generated to ask me all these questions. And such a positive, generous framing. But I don't know. I started out having really detailed notes and just like word by word. And then I forgot the like question mark at the end of the sentence in my notes. And then I would be reading it out and then there wouldn't be a question mark and I wouldn't know how to end the intonation of the sentence. And it was very minute and detailed and just not helpful and makes the conversations more painful to listen to, I imagine. 
at this point, it's just like isolated words or like short terms and short sentences. And then I feel like it's not really the questions you ask. It's really more just daring to venture into a certain, especially personal space, like people's personal background. No matter what questions you ask, if it's how did you get started? What's your personal motivation? What are some personal barriers you had to overcome? Just getting people to talk about their personal journey behind the science in any way, no matter what you ask. It's not just that people are okay with that. They appreciate it. I remember one guest saying, thank you for caring. Everyone's always, your science is great. You as a person, I don't care. <laughs> and so it's like a win-win. And then for us junior academics, it makes us feel less alone because every single time the story is some version of, oh God, I had so many barriers that people don't see now and think I'm this established professor who just easily got to this position. But it's hard, it's complicated. And hearing that again and again is really fun. Nice, wonderful. So I'd actually like to get to know a little bit about you. So I know that you are a grad student at Stanford. Yeah. I know that you are in, you study effective psychology, I think. <laughs> so could you talk a little bit about your research interests? Like what I think of you, I just think of you're in this social group, Jamil's group. Jamil does empathy. You're probably in some empathy, social neuroscience thing. Oh, yeah. How many hours do we have? Yes, yeah, so <laughs> I am a third year, almost fourth year. Good Lord, almost fourth year PhD student wow. here in the psychology department with Jim Yozaki. So in a social neuroscience lab and in the affective area. So technically I'm supposed to be studying maybe empathy and neuroscience and affect. And, but what's so, wonderful about, <laughs> what's so wonderful about our area is that it's very broad. And I so I study more trust and distrust, which is related to emotions, turns out a lot, and to all kinds of social and empathic processes. But Primarily, I study trust and what happens when people lose their trust and faith, not just in a specific other person, but in just people in general and become really cynical, which, to be honest, is my journey a little bit. By temperament, I'm an incredibly naive, trusting person who just like walks into dark alleyways on the south side of Chicago and it's like, whoa, <laughs> what's up? And the horrible things have happened to me because of that. But I also lost my trust in people when I was in high school because... People can be horrible in high school and they can bully you. And I just became really bitter and cynical. And it was such a horrible state to be in. But what made it even more horrible is that I thought the cynicism was protecting me and was like a protective shield. If you never trust anyone, they can never betray you, which is true. But then also, if you never trust anyone, you miss all the people who are trustworthy and who could have been kind to you. And so it just became this like cycle of distrust that I found myself stuck in, which was somewhat useful. But also really destructive and made me feel alone and isolated from other people and made it really hard to trust anyone again. And that's what I'm really interested in this phenomenon where people have oftentimes really good reason to distrust others and to become cynical. But then they get stuck in that state in a way that's not helpful to them or to the people around them. So the question is, how can we help them on an interpersonal level, on a societal level? Certainly, there's not a lot of trust in this country right now. So many angles on this. And that's some of the stuff that I'm really interested in it. So it can get pretty dark and pretty sad, but making even a little bit of progress is also really rewarding. Yeah, that's that sounds like a very fascinating line of research. I feel like trust and cooperation, those are themes that kind of permeate society at every particular level of analysis from like the family level to whatever group you put you are happen to be involved in to like individual interactions and so on that's very interesting and it sounds like you've been able to have this research interest guide the kinds of guests that you interview at the podcast so 
Do you have any kind of particular researchers that you've interviewed that maybe are your favorite conversations you've had mm-hmm. or, I don't know, just like mem- memorable interactions? I think one of my worst fears when I started the podcast was I would have an entire ep- episode recorded and then forget to have hit record during the whole session. Yeah. It almost happened to us just now. But yeah, I don't know if off the top of your head, you have any kind of memorable mm-hmm. interactions from the episodes you've done? I wouldn't, I wouldn't give a name for like best conversation ever. <laughs> but I, in terms of like most aligned with the research that I'm doing, Dave Dunning was really fun to talk to. Because yes, he's the guy behind the Dunning-Kruger effect. But he's also done a lot of really wonderful stuff on trust. And for example, finding that people oftentimes are too distrustful of others. Because what happens when you trust someone? Well, you find out if your trust was warranted or not, right? They betray you, they let you down, and you're like, oh God, I learned my lesson. Or they honor your trust, and you're like, okay, that was good. But what happens when you distrust someone? You move away from them, you don't interact with them. You will never find out if you could have trusted them, right? They usually don't come knocking at your door a couple of years down the line and are like, we could have been friends, but you distrusted me, right? So you don't find out. And so he has this wonderful work showing that this asymmetric feedback, as he calls it, makes us more distrustful than would be good for us. And that when you give people feedback, hey, you distrusted, but actually this is a really sweet person who didn't mean no harm to you. People become more trusting and more well calibrated in who they trust. And so there's just like findings like this that he's uncovered. That is just so fun. And talking to him was really fun. Yeah, that's super interesting. I think I do remember listening to that episode. It was a really good one. I always have pretty wacky like questions that come to my head instantly. And when one of them usually like, is trust only applied to human beings? Or can you trust like a physical object? So I, I don't know when I guess I, I'm interested in studying how infants understand the physical world and the social world. And one of the things that infants have to learn is that objects behave in these regular ways that when an object is occluded and it happens to be in motion that it's going to come out the other way unless it's uh, unless there's an obstacle in the way or something and i wonder whether this is like a kind of like trust where you're like i trust that you'll come out okay (laughs) if like trust has to do that kind of predictability of something like of someone's behavior you trust Mm -hmm. that someone will follow up with what they said or something and you don't trust someone if they I don't know. This is my my lay theory of trust if they're unpredictable, but maybe it's something slightly different. What do you think? What would you speculate? Could you trust like an object? (laughs) I love it. I have no clue, but I'm happy to speculate. Uh, I have a theory. So when people talk about trust, it can be many different things as you talk about. And it can be, do I trust you to have good intentions to me, to be warm, to be pro-social, moral, kind, right? To have my interests at heart, at least in this interaction that whatever we have, right? So it's benevolence. It can also be about competence do i trust you to be smart and to know what you're doing even if maybe you don't care about my well-being right my lecturer they might not have my interest at heart but do i trust the information they're giving me because do i think i can trust how smart they are and do they know their field and then there's integrity right which is are you going to do what you said you were going to do now if i think about my very intimate relationship with my computer i certainly have no trust in my computer being competent i open it every day and i expect it to just explode in my face and everything is going to end somehow. (laughs) I have a very toxic relationship with all technology in my life and I have no trust in it. So again, I don't know if there's any research on this and what this would predict. In my case, I think my lack of trust predicts everyday anger and agitation, certainly. But certainly on the competence domain, like we expect objects to do what we think they're supposed to be doing. 
I don't know about integrity because my computer is not promising me anything. Maybe the person selling me the computer. <laughs> yeah, computers are interesting because we have we work with computers every day, and I feel like I've had computers for most of my life. Yet every time there's a Zoom meeting, we have to have this back and forth where I'm like, wait, I'm not mm-hmm. sure where the sound is coming from. Could you? Mm-hmm. It's like you you never really understand them completely. They're always just strangely unpredictable. It's it doesn't make any sense to me. But, but they're not uh, so unpredictable that you just don't expect anything of them at all. They're like they're working just well enough that you have a little bit of hope and then they'll explode <laughs> in your face <laughs> that is a wonderful way to put it okay cool so the podcast has been really awesome so far i think we have been every thursday i believe we drop an episode and it's the format is that we interview an academic about a recent piece of work that they have done but it looks like increasingly we're doing these episodes that are more maybe some informational conversation about some program that's happening or just something that's that deviates from the norm of re- interviewing someone about their research. So do you see, I guess this is just a part of me trying to think about the future of the podcast and like any particular vision you have about different directions we could take. Obviously, this is an ongoing conversation. and. Actually, I'm also curious what the guests, the listeners think about the different things that we do, whether they're okay with us just continuing to only talk to academics or also have these more like peeling back the layers behind like the life of a, of a, of a professor outside of their research or what, what it's like to apply to grad school. So how do you envision, do you have any particular vision for how this podcast will keep going forward? Yeah, absolutely no clue. And it's beautiful. (laughs) So what I love about this podcast is that it's so many of us at this point that we can all together make decisions. And who knows what's going to come of it? Much of the core team at some point will not be at Stanford anymore. The idea would be the podcast still moves on and there's new people coming in and it's supposed to be like a science communication training program. A lot of people approach me and are like, I would love to join, but I don't know how to podcast. And I'm like, we have no idea how to podcast. It's not supposed to be something that you join when you are a well-trained podcast host or anything like that. It's supposed to help you become better, hopefully not worse at least, and give you some experience. And so hopefully more people will join and then take it wherever they want. Very open to a lot of formats. So I really got to give a shout out to our department, which is just so supportive of this podcast. And it's giving us a lot of freedom in where we take it and how we design it. And so there's special formats we have with people who are not strictly professors, with people who are not strictly in psychology, with multiple guests at a time, which I would love to do more of. But the scheduling behind that is a challenge, to put it mildly and politely. We have ideas about talking to people who are not in academia, right, who left the PhD program and are still psychologists somewhere. All kinds of things floating around. Where exactly is it going to go? What is this podcast going to look like five years down the line? I don't know. All I hope is there is going to be a podcast five years down the line. That would be fun. Interesting. But also, sorry, on the note of what do our listeners want? Please, listeners, tell us. We have been desperately trying to find out who you are, and we have no clue. We get very little information from the podcast hosting platforms that we have. I know Spotify is giving us information that you all love to listen to, Taylor Swift and The Weeknd, which is... (laughs) really almost the most useful information we have about who you are, which is not that useful. So please email us. We get these random emails sometimes from people, hey, this was cool. Could you do this? Could you do that? 
please give us feedback. We would love to know who you are and what you want. Wonderful. Okay, so as we approach the conclusion of this interview, I'm wondering whether you have any things that you think was worth bringing up that didn't come up. Maybe things related to your studying this podcast and just the journey that we've had thus far. Just thanks to you for joining this podcast because, I, yeah, people's time is so precious and they have been joining this podcast and supporting this podcast here in the department. So thank you. And thank you to our listeners. Why are you listening to this podcast? There's so many really cool podcasts out there. So it's really a big compliment that people are listening at all. It started out just being my mom and she doesn't even speak English. So it was very sweet and heartwarming, but it's good to see other people tune in as well. And it's just been so much fun and to integrate it with my research and learn a lot. And hopefully the podcast is going to live on for as long as this is where I end dramatically. <laughs> as long as the universe exists. Thank you very much. It's going to live on through the heat death yeah. of the universe. <laughs> the yes. only thing remaining is the Stamps and Psychology podcast logo <laughs> floating in space. Perfect. I could, there's worse ways this universe could collapse, I think. <laughs> All right. Wonderful. Okay. Thank you so much. This has been such a wonderful conversation. You are so good at this. You speak very like articulately. You don't even pause to think. I guess you do. It's a good thing. But think about trust. If you say these things, no one is going to believe you're not an AI. What is your review? So this is this your first time, I take it, being the guest at a podcast? And what yeah. is your experience thus far? Do you think that it's, is it distressing? Is it relaxing? It is stressful. It's also just very warm in my apartment right now. So I can't really disentangle <laughs> what's making me sweat so much. But it's fine because I also know you and I know the shape of this podcast. Nice. I guess a different setup could be more stressful. And it's also helpful that you asked me about the podcast, which I can speak to a little bit. If you had asked me questions such as, what are the biggest challenges in psychology? <laughs> I might have been like, oh God, I have no qualifications to answer that. And then that would have freaked me out a lot more. I think one interesting challenge is the lack of podcasts. We need more psychology podcasts. I think actually what's interesting to me is having people who are academics who are much younger in their academic journey just get to be get to interact with other academics at different sort of stages yeah. in their career and i think having a podcast if the person hosting it is an is a young academic is actually a very useful thing it's certainly been incredibly helpful for me as i like i did it before i applied to graduate school and also mm -hmm. like i'd imagine for someone who is an aspiring academic listening to a podcast like this might also be like incredibly empowering to them too. 